Welcome to On The Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast, where our mission is to teach the financial literacy skills we should have learned in school. We cover financial basics, investing, business ownership, real estate, and everything in between. On The Fly. Hello, everyone. Welcome to On The Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast, where our mission is to teach the financial literacy skills that we should have learned in school. Today, I am joined by Olienka Famadou and our special guest, Kyle Oberlin. Guys, how are we doing today? Doing great. I'm great. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So, Typically on FLI, we cover financial basics, investing, business ownership, real estate, and everything in between. And the beauty of our podcast is that we do this on the fly with no rehearsals, no previous questions being passed between each other. And really with today's focus, Kyle, his sweet spot is real estate, both investing and as a realtor himself. So Kyle, if you if you don't mind, can you give us kind of a background on yourself, both what you do on the agent side, but also on the investing side? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll kind of give you just the, the quick background of how I even got started into it. Um, so, uh, you know, honestly, it was is really just a, a timing and, and luck. Uh, so um, back in 2009, um, I had saved for a motorcycle, actually, and got my, my temps and uh, accidentally let my temps expire. And so I, I had some money saved. Um, kind of fell out of love with the idea of getting a motorcycle and it just happened to be during the the financial uh, crash of 2009. And so um, started seeing that I could actually buy houses for about the same price as I <laughs> could have bought my <laughs> motorcycle for. So um, ended up uh, starting to look at some places, found a, uh, a $20,000 deal out in Springfield Township and um, yeah, shot, pulled the trigger on it and, uh, you know, obviously needed a lot of work. So uh, put a lot of sweat equity into it. You know, of course, I, I spent every dollar I had on on the property. So um, it was just a lot of working, a lot of learning how to do stuff myself, um, and uh, I guess indirectly building a lot of equity. So um, then when it came time to get into the investing side, um, I was fortunate to have a lot of equity built into that home. And so um, took advantage of that. Uh, I think I was maybe about 24, um, opened up a home equity line of credit on it. Um, was able to tap into, I think, maybe 50000 or so and start using that as 25% uh, down payments for um, investment properties. And so I bought a, a four unit um, uh, right away uh, when I was 24. Uh, and then two years later, was able to find a, a three unit in Forge Lakes that I um, pulled the trigger on as well. Um, and yeah, I just started kind of honestly building from there. But um, I already had my, my two rental properties before I even got my real estate license. And so um, it kind of just made sense as a natural progression for me that um, you know, I had these rental properties. I already kind of was dabbling. I already, you know, basically had three transactions under my belt um, before I was 27. Um, and so then I just uh, felt felt it made sense, you know. And so I got my my sales license, and I've uh, been kind of doing it ever since. Beautiful. Oh, Sean, you're muted. Go ahead. Awesome, Kyle. Thank you for that explanation. And I think I think the biggest thing that Kyle touched on there was just the fact that he did this all you know, before he was 25, 26, 27 years old. So he got really, he got started really early on it. And it all, it often seems like buying a house, there's a large barrier to entry. You know, you think that, oh, I have to be 30 years old. I have to be married, have kids, have a full-time job. But in reality, there's, there's creative ways to do this. And 
I think this is this is really where where Kyle can help all of us and all the listeners as well understand that you don't have to do you know 20 25% down to get into an investment property. There are creative ways to structure that. And not only has, you know, Kyle been a great resource to me in terms of learning how real estate works and learning the business, but he's also helped me purchase not only my personal residence, but a rental property as well. So, and also he's, you know, talked to Yinka about doing the same thing. So it's, it's a wealth of knowledge that you can have from having a circle of people who not only are in the industry, but that have a wealth of experience. And Kyle's still a young guy. So there's a lot that, that, you know, we can learn from people that are our age and that have been doing it for what, Kyle, would you say it's almost 10 years at this point? Yeah, actually a little over 10 years because I was uh, just just turning 20 when I when I bought that first property and I'm, I'm 33 now. So absolutely. So I would say the the first question I kind of want to kick off with in terms of, you know, the the common if you're buying a house for yourself or even a rental property, what are the ways that you can get that financing in terms of a mortgage and loans? Yeah, so there's a variety of methods, you know, I mean, first and foremost, having a good lender on your side is is super important. and, uh, you know, I don't like to, I guess, talk bad about big banks, but, you know, big banks are, are very handcuffed in what they allow you to do. Um, and, you know, it's, it's usually one of the situations where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Um, you just have a lot of a lot of people touching your file. And so um, parting with a smaller lender, um, typically local smaller lenders are, are my kind of niche, um, have great recommendations if anyone ever needs one. But um, finding that person that's really going to, to digest what your financial situation is. And, and help you understand what your options are. Um, because you know the important thing to keep in mind with lending is that they only get paid if they're closing a loan for you. So you could get unlimited free advice from a lender when it comes to your financial options of purchasing a home and um, for, for free. So, um, but when it comes to loan products, um, the most popular is a conventional mortgage product. Um, in some cases that could be a 0% down. Um, there's a first time home buyer, uh, loans that you can get um, they're called ofa loans um they're through the uh, ohio financing something agency I'm, I'm not sure what the acronym stands for but um they uh it's essentially you're you're getting a grant for down payment money um and you're paying for it by paying a little bit of a higher interest rate so kind of depends on your situation you know so if you have not a lot to put down you can take advantage of one of those and just pay for it over time through your interest rate increase um, but you could also do a 5% conventional um, with just a standard interest rate um, all the way up to, you know, however much you want to put down. Um, and then there's also three and a half percent FHA loans. Um, then, of course, if you're a veteran, you could do a zero percent down loan as well. Um, you know, right now, being in this this super low inventory market, it's it's very tough if you are FHA or VA um, because that's kind of the uh, a lot of resistance on, on the lending side for those. And so. Um, if you could go conventional, absolutely the best way to do is conventional. Um, but you know, sometimes if your credit score doesn't meet that criteria, then you, you kind of are forced into an FHA situation. Gotcha. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for that. As a, as a beautiful, great first question. And, you know, I think Sean might've mentioned this a little bit earlier because you did actually help me, um, probably, probably a month and a half back. And I've been taking a lot of those steps that you've been talking to me about, but I would love for those who are like me, who might have a good reserve of money, who are interested into getting real estate, can you kind of like 
fundamentally break down a couple of the the steps that I remember you giving me to our listeners on how to just get into this if they have like say fifteen twenty thousand dollars, but yet they want to get into the real estate market, but they don't really know how. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, and you know, keep in mind that the lending stuff that I just talked about that is like your traditional Fannie and Freddie. Um, they call those conventional loans, or uh, I'm sorry, um, they they call those conforming loans. So those are conforming to the the secondary market standards of Fannie and Freddie. So that bank can basically package it up, sell it, and you know, start getting some more money to to lend out to other people. So, um, when when I talked to you about a month and a half ago, I, I was touching a little bit on some of that that non-conforming stuff. You know, some of the portfolio lending, some of the commercial options. And so really setting yourself a good foundation if, if this plans on being a long-term thing for you. Um, it, it, there's a lot that you can do to just really start making sure that you are, are set for the future. Um, one of those, um, you want to get an LLC. Um, you start an LLC early, um, start running some money through it. You know, if you're doing some, some side work, some side hustle, whatever that you're pushing through money-wise, not only you're going to have tax savings, but you're you're starting to build a credit portfolio for your business. Um, and just like a credit score, you know, length of amount of time that you've had credit is a big part of your credit portfolio. Um, and so the, the faster you can start doing that and start pushing money through there, um, the better off you're going to be. Um, make sure that you keep that money separate. You know, you need a business account, you need a business credit card, um, everything, you know, you don't want to cross commerce because that could get you in trouble down the road um, and set that foundation early on. So then when you do go and buy that property, you can start using it as a pass through. Um, you already have it established. Um, and then, of course, the more you buy, the more you're pushing through there and the better credit profile you have to where eventually down the road, uh, you'll be able to tap into business credit and portfolio lending and, you know, just kind of this whole another world of, of uh, pulling, pulling money together. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. And I would say along those lines too, in terms of, okay, maybe you want to get into investment properties. You, you may have a little bit of money like set aside in savings, but you don't have enough for a 20% down. What, what kind of steps could our listeners take to get into investment properties, but without putting the full 20% down? Yeah, so you can, you know, you can buy, uh, so the, the 20, the 20 or 25% down, that is more for an, um, that is a, a Fannie and Freddie standard for a home that you plan on not living in. Um, and so what a lot of people do, probably the most common answer to your question would be house hacking when it comes to uh, buying like a duplex, for example, because you have two separate living spaces, you can consider it your primary residence, buy it with a 5% down or less loan. Um, and then, you know, once, once that threshold of, of the loan is over, you know, sometimes they like a year or two, they make you stay there before you're allowed to, to really rent out the other side and buy something else. Um, you could do that, you know, use, use a low down payment loan to get something that you're going to owner occupy, whether it be a duplex, or you can just owner occupy a single family home, paying on that mortgage, build some equity and, and, you know, then pull out a, a home equity line of credit on it. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. And that actually, that's beautiful. You just talked about that and touched on that because that home equity line of credit, that's a HELOC, right? So can you tell our listeners a little more about that? Yes. Um, so so typically, um, and again, I'm, me not being a lender, you know, these are kind of my understanding of it. Um, but typically uh, with a HELOC, they'll let you pull out 75% um, of, your, of your equity. So um, if you have a $100,000 house, you don't owe anything on it, they would let you pull out $75,000. Um, of course, a lot of it has to do with your personal credit profile. So if you have a, a score to match and, you know, decent income, 
Um, but with that being said, yeah. So being able to pull that 75% out is huge because, you know, that that's money you can use for anything. You know, there's, there's no limit to that money. Um, you know, it's a, it's a lean position on your helm. So of course, if you screw up, then yeah, you know, you, you they could go out to your house, but as long as you don't screw up and use it for, you know, income producing assets, then it's going to be a win-win because you might be paying, you know, right now on a HELOC, you might with rates going up maybe four and a quarter um, percent. But if you can go and roll that into an investment property that's making you a, you know, 10, 12% cap rate, then, you know, you're at a, a quite a bit of a net positive there. Right. So it's kind of like cyclical, right? You can take this HELOC, put on another property, another property and kind of continue going with it essentially. Yep, exactly. Beautiful, beautiful. Awesome. Thank you for that. And two, in terms of HELOC, there's, there's some noise that is often, I guess, put out in our society where even some lenders will say this. It's like, you, if you have equity in your house, take out a HELOC to buy a boat, take a vacation, you know, stuff like that. That's, that's the common, like, I guess, opinion of HELOCs. And that's, I think, why people think that they tend to be risky. But like what Kyle said, if you're using a HELOC to buy an income producing asset, it's really not risky at that point because you're using it to make yourself more money versus buying a, a depreciating asset or buying a liability type of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and one note on HELOCs as well is you are only paying interest on the money that you pull out of it. So if you have the $75,000 HELOC, say for example, and you know you only pulled out 20,000 of it for a down payment or you know whatever you used it for, you're only paying that four and a quarter percent or whatever your interest rate is on the money that is currently pulled out of the HELOC. So it's really just like this revolving line of credit that you're that you can really keep open for you know however long you need to and only pay on the interest of the money that's out of it. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. No, that's that's beautiful. I love that. Even I learned a little bit from that. That's that's, that's perfect. Thank you. Uh, another question I might have is that you know let's say someone acquires their, their first, second, third property and so on. How can someone you know efficiently start to or get into the rhythm of managing multiple properties at once? Yeah, so it's really um, for me, you know, it's really just a systems thing. So you really want to set yourself up with with good uh, record keeping early on, you know, set yourself with good habits, um, because if you set yourself up with good habits and you can scale as much as you want to scale um, appropriately. So um, just track everything, you know, whether that be through QuickBooks, through an Excel spreadsheet, it doesn't matter. You need to track everything because everything is tax deductible, every expense. Um, your your home you know your office suddenly becomes a home office um, deduction on your taxes if you're using it to you know manage your properties um there's just so because ultimately you know when when it comes time to write uncle sam a check you know you don't want to <laughs> you want to keep that as low as you can and so the more you track the more you can deduct and, and the ultimately the less taxes you pay right and i think that's probably like for a lot of people even if it's their first property that's probably what's very daunting for a lot of people because that, that is a lot of tracking but once you kind of get that system in place it's 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 clockwork exactly exactly you know okay. it it seems it seems daunting at first because you're like why do i need to do all this you know i only have one property but you got to think long term you know and if you build those those good habits early on then, then it's just going to be easy down the road mm -hmm. perfect thank you and two if you build if you build the systems early on then say you get to 100 units 200 units even more than that and you realize it's something that you can't do yourself when you have the systems in place and maybe you even have your processes written out, that's something that you can easily translate or transfer over to, you know, a hired personal assistant, stuff like that. 
or even a property manager that you bring on because Kyle if, if you if you'd like feel free to go into some detail about your property management company yeah yeah so um my license is with uh, Berkshire Hathaway uh, Home Services Professional Realty um and uh part of what we do um, is, is property management as well. So um, in order to manage somebody else's properties, you either have to be a full-time employee of that person or they have to hold a real estate license. And so um, a lot of common misconception there. I see a lot of people that call themselves property managers, but they're, they're really not doing it legally um, because they're not a full-time member of, of that company. So, um, but yeah, so I, I also um, manage other people's rental properties as well. And, and, you know, and I think that's that's important to note because that that really opens you up to a global investment opportunity. You know, um, I would say probably 80 percent of the properties that we manage are people that don't even live in Ohio. And that's why they hire somebody like me is because, you know, if you find an investment opportunity in another state, pull the trigger on it because you could just find a property manager that you can trust um, to, to run it for you. And, um, you know, it's still still make good cash flow on it. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. Yeah, again, I know we've had this conversation before. That's something I'm even interested in. Me being from Minnesota, I was very interested in looking into property in Ohio. So that's, that's great advice. Um, next thing I really actually want to tap into as well is, you know, you kind of mentioned your backstory with how you kind of got into all of this. But was your learning more by trial with, you know, fire, which probably a majority of it was. But did you kind of tap into maybe mentors or was it, you know, your network or even books or, you know, how did you kind of, you know, get a lot of your information in, in terms of, you know, what you do in, in real estate. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of pieced, uh, pieced together a lot of it from just people around me, you know, my sphere of influence. Um, I, I think having, you know, some sort of mentorship is very important. Um, I, I was beneficial to have uh, my father be a real estate investor um, for most of my life. So he, uh, you know, and he, he's starting to sell off his properties now, you know, now that he's 60, but um, you know, my whole life, I've been kind of that, that little helper, you know, like going and painting and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I always just really leaned on his advice on a lot. You know, I tried to almost use him as a devil's advocate, you know, like, tell me why this is a bad decision, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, also a lot of podcasts, you know, luckily growing up in this era, um, you know, right around that time that I was real estate, started real estate investing, that's when um, a lot of these podcasts were becoming popular and you could, you know, listen to your Grant Cardones and listen to people like that. And so, um, you know, I think for me, it was really just a, a collaboration of just pulling together bits and pieces of things that I felt people did well, things. And you can also learn from people's mistakes. You know, you don't have to listen to what people do well. You can also listen to what they don't do well and just change it to, to you know, better suit how you want to handle things. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. And the, the biggest thing, too, I think that you said there was that, yes, it was it's awesome that your dad was in real estate in investing and you kind of grew up along that. But for people who didn't, still the podcast, the books, even finding mentors that have that sort of background, it, it, it kind of opens the door to anybody, no matter what their background or what their family's background is. And I think going into my next question, as a person both that's either just looking to buy a personal residence or investment properties, as an investor or a home buyer, what are some traits that we can have that make it both easier on you as an agent, but also as someone, you know, that you want to do business more often? Yeah. So, you know, honestly, just being open to advice, you know, um, I, I use the, the saying all the time, you know, some people are immune to good advice um, and, and it's unfortunate, you know, I mean, to me, if, if I'm, if I'm not comfortable with something, 
I am absolutely going to seek the advice of somebody that knows what they're talking about. Um, you know, you got to you got to have your aces in, in their places, so to speak, in, in your life. And so, you know, if you have a real estate guy that's willing to mentor and, and help, you know, guide you in the right direction, just listen to their advice. And you'd be surprised how many people don't, you know, um, you know, I'll work with a flipper a couple of years ago that, um, you know, bought a property with me, despite me saying, hey, you know, it's only a two bedroom. You know, I don't think this is going to be great for this area. And then he goes and, you know, balls out and puts granite everything and, you know, makes this way way more than it should be for this area. And then, you know, then he gets mad at me when, when I can't sell it for what he has into it. And it's like, well, you know, if you would just lean on my advice and just, you know, listen to, you know, some of that stuff, you know, this could have went a lot smoother. And so as crazy as it sounds, really just, just being open-minded and, and listening to advice is, is my, my bread and butter when it comes to um, having a great client in front of me. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome you say that too, because, you know, Sean definitely listened to your advice and that's why you guys are very close now. So if you guys can, you know, just a little bit unprofessionally, can you uh, talk about, you know, how you guys met and your kind of, you know, relationship kind of, you know, go back into, uh, into in, in, in time of how Sean and Kyle met. Yeah. Well, really, I just helped him buy a house and then, uh, you know, realized that he had a good head on his shoulders and that he, you know, again, was, was open to advice and wanted to learn. And, um, you know, honestly, that's people like me love to, to teach, you know, like I, I have a coach's heart. Um, I was a high school track coach for 10 years. And so, you know, it's really like people like me and, there, and there's a lot of me's out there. Um, we we're passionate about this stuff. You know, we like to talk about it and, you know, not a lot of people like to talk about this. You're know, like, why are you telling me this? That's boring, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, anytime that you meet somebody like Sean, from my perspective, it's like, great, you know, he, he wants to learn and, you know, he's open to it and, uh, you know, when he's young, so it's, uh, you know, he has a lot of potential there. So yeah, I just, I enjoyed shooting the breeze with him on this kind of stuff. And then, you know, he started executing and, you know, he's, he's growing. That's beautiful. You're, you're too kind. I appreciate it. And I think, I think the other thing too, that's important is I'm the type of person that asks a lot of questions and I've, I've dealt with people who don't like being asked a lot of questions, but I think the thing that sets Kyle apart is that he's willing to answer every single one of my questions, but also go into extreme detail about it. And even more detail than I necessarily like, or I guess originally thought I needed. And he's, he's, I guess he's opened my eyes to different possibilities too. Um, like I'll, I'll bounce ideas off him. I'll ask questions and he's always willing to take the time and being the agent that he is and the amount of work that he does, he's very busy. And some people will think that, I guess, if the agent doesn't tell them yes, every single time they ask a question or they suggest something, that the agent doesn't has, have their best interest in mind. But realistically, especially in something like real estate, you need someone who's willing to tell you no, just like Kyle said about the, the, the flipper he was working with. So you, you have to take you know, the no's with even more weight than the yeses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that because it's one of those things that, you know, to me, like I could probably sell 40 more houses a year if I just told everybody yes, you know, but to me, it, it, there's a lot more value in being a straight shooter and, you know, having people's best interests in mind to where you're setting them up for success long term, because ultimately I don't want to just sell 40 more houses this year. I want to sell 400 more houses over the course of the next couple of years, just because I put people in good positions and, you know, build relationships and, and really just, you know, just kind of thrive together, so to speak. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. So, you know, another kind of unprofessional question, because I love, you know, asking kind of questions. So who is, who is Kyle Oberlin outside of real estate? Family man, father, brother, you know, some of your hobbies, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself so they get to know you on more of a personal level? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I am uh, just honestly, I'm not a very interesting outside. Uh, <laughs> okay. uh, as crazy as that sounds, um, I wear a lot of hats. Um, and so it, it keeps me busy because uh, not only obviously do I do the, the investment hat or the, you know, the sales hat, uh, but I'm also very involved at the local realtor uh, association. Um, so, uh, you know, a lot of advocacy for the industry, you know, and, and just making sure that, um, you know, the legislators are not doing doing crazy things like, you know, trying to pass legislation that that really, you know, hurts home ownership. And so I do a lot of stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I like to boat. I've been a Porsche Lakes guy my whole life. I've had a, a boat for seven years now, um, docked um, on Porsche Lakes. And so do a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm just sitting at home doing, you know, just, just working and, and hanging out too. Um, I'm not married, no kids. Um, so it's, uh, it's really just, uh, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of hustle, you know, a lot of grit. And I just, I figured I'll just get out of the way now. So, you know, eventually, um, I'm, I'm not working all the time, but I do like right. to travel as well, you know, and, and luckily in this industry, I'm blessed with the ability to travel because you do make your own schedule. You know, I tell people all the time I work seven days a week where I'm on the clock seven days a week, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm working all seven days, you know? So mm -hmm. I kind of pick and choose the days that I want. You know, if I have not a lot of appointments for three straight days, I'll just go hop on a plane and go somewhere and, you know, check it out. And luckily most of my, most of my work I can do remote. Um, and if I need to cover some showings or something, I have a great team around me. Um, just started a team this year. So uh, I can, you know, usually see if they can cover for me and they're, they're usually pretty willing to. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, this, this, man is, this man is a workaholic, like, <clears throat> especially um, in, in the time that I've known Kyle, it's if I need to go see a house on a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or a Thursday night at 8 p.m., you know, as, as long as I give him the flexibility and the, the heads up on it, he's willing to make it work. Now, mm -hmm. obviously, that's you, you don't want to do that, you know, for the next 20 years type of thing. And that's why you're building a team around you. So in terms of the team you have around you, kind of what are what are the characteristics that you look for or you look for in the good team members? Yeah, so I and that's a great question. Um, I, I would say it, it really depends on which position I'm hiring for. So um, when it when it came to it, hiring my um, my administrative assistant, um, her name's Leslie, I, I really hired for my weaknesses there, um, you know, just the stuff that I don't enjoy doing, I'm not good at doing, um, just don't have the time to do, you know, and so uh, those, you know, I kind of hired somebody that's not really like me at all. Um, but on the, on the sales side of it, um, when it came to hiring, so right, so right now I have Leslie, who's a, my administrative assistant, and then I have two buyers agents, Lazo and Jackson, um, they are, were a natural fit because they have that go-getter mentality like me. Um, and I wanted to make sure people are taken care of, you know, because ultimately, uh, you know, a good portion of their business is is my business. And so, you know, me, I don't want to spoil these relationships that I've built. You know, if they help me out with somebody that I just don't, you know, if I have too much on my plate at the time, I want to make sure they're taken care of just like I would be helping them. And so um, then I found someone similar. Um, and then I actually hired a, a full time guy that uh, helps me with my property management stuff. Um, his name's Matt. And uh, he was a great fit because he is very creative and in, in finding solutions. You know, he's like one of those guys that will always figure out a way to make it work. And that's what I really like about Matt, because you kind of need that in property management. You know, if you're if you're put on the spot and you need to get a repair done or something like he'll he'll figure it out. You know, like I don't need to be hands on with him. I just I just trust that it's getting done and he's been doing a great job. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sounds like an amazing team. I love that. Um, that's beautiful. 
Uh, so, you know, and I think this is, this is a really good question because this next one, because there's going to be listeners who probably knew nothing about real estate, but now listening to this, probably a little bit intrigued, right? And let's say for that individual, they're, you know, financially literate because they've been tapping into FLI, but yet maybe because again, they're interested now with real estate, what is maybe the number one thing they can start looking into, whether it's maybe their network in real estate or it's, it's building capital or it's, you know, you know, like what is that number one thing that someone who is now intrigued and want to get into it again is financially literate, whether again, capital network, what is that number one thing for that person now who's listening, who's listening right now and wants to kind of now kind of get into this, this space. Yeah, I, I don't, I would say it's really two things um, because you could do okay. them both at the same time. Um, building capital sure. is, is absolutely important. Um, it takes money to make money. Um, and so you, you need, you know, if they're already financially literate, luckily they, you know, they probably have been keeping track of their credit score and you're just making sure that they, you know, are in good spice, um, on paper, but ultimately if you have no money, you know, you need to you need to have some sort of capital. And so I would say building capital kind of at the same time, um, that you are just really building your knowledge base. Um, you know, whatever that is, you know, are you looking to flip? Are you looking for long-term investments? Are you looking to burr? You know, what are you looking to do? And then really start diving into um, the path forward of, of expanding your knowledge base on that, you know, whether it be joining a networking group or, you know, partnering, like finding a mentor or, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. And really just really, another question that just came off of that, which is perfect. So you mentioned a couple terms, right? Maybe if you can mention a couple more, because I know, I know flip, I know house hack, but you mentioned Burr, if I'm not mistaken, if you can kind of at a high level, explain a couple of those, if not a couple more as well, whatever, you know, so our listeners and me even can kind of uh, learn a little more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think that when people think real estate investing, there's probably two that come to mind that are probably the most common um, flip and long term investment. So um, a flip would simply be finding a home that is uh, usually sometimes you could get them off market and you get a little bit better. But really, you're just finding a property that is way under its true market potential because of the condition that it's in. Um, and so if you could find a home that has you know, a lot of room for improvement. And, you know, unfortunately, like there's not a lot at the lower level because at the lower level, you're dealing with cash buyers. And so, you know, if, if unless you have, a, you know, 100 grand in the bank of cash, you're not going to really be competitive with those lower level ones unless you're finding them off market to where you could theoretically get a loan on it and not compete with somebody with cash. Um, but there's a lot of opportunity at the higher end too. You know, there's like a, a lot of those former mansions in West Akron that are 3,000 square feet and, you know, you could pick it up for, maybe 185 put some money into it and sell it for you know 400 or something like that so you know that that's really a flip is and, and my best advice for flipping is just pay attention to your real estate expert you know whether it be me or if you already have somebody else in mind um just just make sure that you are understanding not only if the value is there but also if like what room for improvement is there because not every house needs granite you know sometimes if it's really about that positive ROI and and the best source for that is going to be your real estate agent because ultimately they're going to be the one that sells it and they're plugged into the market and they know the colors and the finishes and the stuff that the buyer market is looking for. So you want to make sure that you're doing the best possible job on that flip as you can. Um, and then long-term investment, um, that is really um, just buying a house that you're going to rent out. Um, and so uh Best way to, to evaluate, in my opinion, of rental property is using what's called cap rate. And so cap rate is your net annual income divided by the purchase price. 
So that's how you can evaluate a rental property that is 100,000 renting for X dollars versus 500,000 renting for X dollars. It's really about the cap rate. And so mm -hmm. if you can figure out that net annual income, uh, you know, again, it's net. So you got to subtract out your taxes, your insurance, um, you know, any potential, I, I always factor in any repairs I'm going to have to make over the next five years um, to kind of even it out for with the nicer properties. Um, and, uh, and just really, you know, any uh, owner paid uh, utilities, you know, you subtract that out on an annual basis and then divide it by your purchase price. So a good cap rate, you know, I'd say in a, in a quote unquote nice area is going to be probably between seven to 10 percent. Um, anything more than that, it's like, you know, there must be something wrong with that house. <laughs> but uh, and then, you know, you could find stuff in an average area between maybe 10 to 18 percent, I'd say anywhere in there, just depending on how much deferred maintenance there is. So um, that's your long term investment. Um, Burr, Burr would be a great option if you have cash. Um, and okay. Burr is something that I do a lot with my investors. I don't personally Burr, um, but just because it's very popular on single family homes and I don't, I, I'm more of a multifamily investor, but, uh, with, so Burr stands for buy, renovate, refinance, repeat. Um, so it's, it's actually three R's, <laughs> B-R-R. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, how that looks is you find a, a single family home that does have a little bit of room for improvement, but really not a lot. Cause you're just going to rent it out anyway. So it's more of like lipstick on a pig kind of situation, you know, slap some paint on it, put some new flooring down, you know, maybe paint the cabinets, something like that. Um, you know, paint the basement walls and floor, just kind of make it look better than it did, but for not that much money and not that much time. Um, so what you do is you say, you find it for 60,000, you go buy it in cash, and then you do that stuff over the course of, you know, two weeks or whatever, and then you refinance it. So you do a cash out refi on it. And in that situation, you usually pull about 80% of your equity out of the home. Uh, but the goal would be to get it to appraise for enough to where you're getting all of your money out. So if you could build 20% of value from the, what you bought it for just by putting some lipstick on it, and if it appraises for that high, then you're able to pull every dollar out of that home that you paid for it. And then you just go and do it again. But now you have that asset that you can rent out and you have a home, uh, a home equity uh, loan on it or, you know, a cash out refi that you're really at four and a half, four and a quarter percent. So then, right. you know, again, back to our earlier conversation, you can go and make 11 percent with it instead. Mm, wow. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you for that. I learned a lot from that right there. That was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> And to kind of as we wrap up here, I have a few more questions and Yinka may have a couple more as well. Um, question number one, and not to necessarily put you on the spot for this, but in terms of the current real estate market, you know, we're, we're starting to see interest rates rising. Maybe home prices are leveling out. Demand might be decreasing, but even with demand decreasing, you know, it's it's it still seems high. What's what's your outlook over the next six months to a year? Yeah, um, honestly, yeah, I mean, you do see it slowing a little bit, but that's, you know, it it's like a car that was already going 50 over the speed limit, and now it's going 30 over the speed limit, you know, like it's, it's decreasing, but it's still crazy. Um, and so, um, you know, we went from hyper low inventory, which is usually about uh, 10 buyers for every one home to probably about seven buyers for every one home. And so, you know, it's still very competitive. Um, the, the thing is, is the housing, people always need somewhere to live. And so, you know, the, the current economic conditions with the rising rates is very, very different than what it was in, in 2008, 2009. And so, um, you know, the people that are waiting for this bubble to pop are going to be waiting 
for a really, really long time um, because there, there's no bubble to pop. You know, it's it's really just a housing shortage. Uh, the pandemic has, you know, put a, a squash to a lot of builders, a lot of building materials. You know, that's why everyone's complaining about uh, plywood and two by fours being so expensive because a lot of this stuff was completely put on hold. And so new, new, uh, new construction was, you know, tapered off because of that. And just so many factors went into this housing shortage that even if rates get crazy, you know, six, seven, eight percent, there's still going to be a seller's market for quite some time. Absolutely. And two, kind of along those lines, um, <clears throat> I, I, I kind of hear that. Well, number one, people think that this is just like 2008 because they see inflation spiking, they, but they also see housing prices spiking. And they say that housing prices spiking equals housing prices spiking around 2008. The same thing's going to happen. But what you touched on regarding the inventory and even the demand still, I think, is the biggest factor that differentiates it. So you kind of have to look below the surface when evaluating whether we're going to have a huge market crash or if it's just if it just may be like a minor blip kind of in, in the data trend. Absolutely. And and on top of that, the lending practices, the lending mm -hmm. practices is what really caused the financial crisis of 08 and 09. You know, it's just right. it was a it was a, a domino effect with with loose, super loose lending guidelines. Um, and then they passed Dodd-Frank, which really cleaned that up. Um, those lending practices have not loosened up, you know, the, the, so there's, it's not like they're issuing subprime mortgages right now, you know, so <laughs> the people that are buying homes can still qualify to buy those homes with, you know, Fannie and Freddie guidelines being the same as they were the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. And that's, that's a very good point as well. So kind of, as we wrap up here in, in terms of, so Yinga actually still want my, my one question about your advice for, for people trying to get into real estate. But in terms of where you get your your knowledge and your content, do you have kind of a go to podcast or a book that's really helped you a lot? Surprisingly, no. Um, you know, I, I don't think I could point to one single source. I, I'm a guy that that likes variety. You know, I just I really go out there and I and I grasp at everything I could find. Um, but, you know, ultimately just learning learning from people that have been doing it to me is, is the most important thing. Um, you know, I'm very blessed with having a large sphere um, that I've built over time from networking and um, just even within my brokerage, you know, like luckily being a national brokerage, I'm able to go to these events in other states and meet with people that are, you know, kind of walking the walk and talking the talk and, and just really just latch onto them and just learn as much as I can. Awesome. All right. Very and then the, the last question I want to ask you for the rest of 2022 what is what is one of your top goals whether it be personal for your business or for your real estate investing yeah um i'd say i'd like to i'd like to finish off the year um probably getting maybe six to eight more units under under my uh under my control um on the on the ownership side um and then uh, kind of grow the the portfolio of properties that we manage um, now that I have Matt in place and, you know, I can scale, you know, pretty significantly there. Um, and then really just kind of finish rounding off my team. You know, I, I'm in a good place to where we're growing, but um, ultimately there's still business to be had. So I would, I would like to, uh, um, I went to a mastermind last week with people that sell 500, 700 houses a year. And I, I left there as motivated as ever, you know, so I want to go and, and get to the point where, you know, I can be in that conversation with them. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, cool. I, that's awesome. And based, based on how I know you and you, your drive and motivation, I feel like that's something that you're going to absolutely crush. I appreciate that. And last, last question, 
in terms of reaching out to you, maybe they have questions about real estate. They want to look at houses here in the Akron, Canton area. How can, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah. So you can call me, text me anytime. My cell phone is 330-714-5807. Or you can email me. Uh, My email is kyle at therealestate.pro. Awesome. Thank you. And Yanka, how can how can our listeners listeners find you? Yeah, I know you can find me on LinkedIn at my name. So Olinka Famadu. I'm primarily on LinkedIn. Absolutely. And you can find me on uh, on Instagram at Sean Lacey7 or at LinkedIn at Sean or just Sean Lacey, S-E-A-N-L-A-C-E-Y. Um, but other than that, Kyle, we appreciate your time tonight. I think you, you touched on a lot of valuable nuggets that whether you know, you're, you're just getting started in real estate and investing, or you've already been in it for a while, but you're looking to continue to grow. I think that's just, there, there's plenty of things that we talked about in here that our listeners can take and run with and continue to grow their pro- portfolio and grow their wealth. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Absolutely. Thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate the time and uh, you both have a good one. 100%. 100%. Inca, thank you for co-hosting as well. And this has been an uh, episode five of On the Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast. Thank you and have a good night. Thank you for listening to On the Fly, a Financial Literacy Institute podcast. If you'd like to learn more, check out our website at www.thefli.net and our Instagram at the Financial Literacy Institute. We look forward to you joining us on our next episode as we teach the financial literacy skills we should have learned in school.